We're going to continue this morning, week two of what we're calling uh, the Songs of Christmas. And this morning, I am working us through this, the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And, uh, and I'm calling it Hark and Hail. Hark and Hail. And so just to make sure you're with me on this Hark and Hail thing, turn to somebody next to you and say, how's your Hark and Hail? That's good. First service wouldn't do it. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, before we go there, I want to give just a short little history of some of the Earhart family uh, Christmas when I grew up. I grew up in a, a Catholic family, and we had a rich Christmas tradition. We did a lot of decorating inside and out outside, um, which was really fun when I was young as I grew older and had to handle um, some of the responsibility of that, began to, be, to become a, a little less of, of a joy and maybe more of a chore. Uh, one of the things that we did is um, every Christmas Eve day, my dad and I would spend a majority of the day setting up luminarios in our driveway and the perimeter of our neighborhood. And our whole neighborhood did this. It was a big project. And, and you'd take these sacks and you'd fold them down. And we had hundreds and hundreds of these sacks in just in our, our property. And then you would take these sacks and you'd pour sand in them. And then you'd go put them in place. And then you'd have to go back and you'd put candles in each sack. And then you'd go back and you would light each sack. And just lighting the sacks took about an hour. I mean, it was a, a big, big project. And, and uh, the whole thing, um, you were freezing at the end of it. You tried to do it in gloves, but you tried to do all these little things with your hands and gloves didn't work. So you take your gloves off and then your fingers were numb. And then, and then by the end, um, it, well, it was joyous. <laughs> it was joyous. But once... They were all lit, and then uh, it became dark. We had this grand, fun uh, family reunion party every Christmas Eve, and relatives would come from all over the place, different states, and, and it, was, it was a blast for us. Uh, I loved getting to see people like Uncle Bill and Aunt Rosie, who I only got to see at Christmas time, and they would come with gifts, and they'd always make us feel like we were the most special kids in the whole world, and the food was great, and the cookies were great, and it was a fun night. At about 11 o'clock, everyone would disperse so that we could go to the midnight mass, the midnight church service. The best thing about the midnight church service as a kid was this, 30 minutes long. <laughs> There's nothing better as a kid than a 30-minute church service. And, uh, and in and out, uh, drive through service, it was really good. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... We, and we sang during that service, you'd sing the Christmas carols and, and you know, you'd do the candlelight, silent night and all of those things. But for most of us kids, it was just a distraction to the real, the real meaning of Christmas, Santa and presents, right? All right. And then I gave my life to Jesus as a 15-year-old and began to follow Christ and, and to, to um, change the way that, that I thought. And some of these Christmas traditions began to bug me. I began to wrestle with some of the stuff that, that was happening, and I, I was starting to, to think about what's the real reason for the season. And as much as a teenage young man is able to articulate his feelings, right, Noah? 
um, I began to sense a tension between the Christmas of Jesus and the Christmas of Santa. I felt like the real reason for the celebration was lost, at least in our, in our tradition, of this elaborate gift-giving. And then eventually, Ann and I got married, and uh, I had the chance to manage my own household, which I thought would make things much simpler. <laughs> and then we had to wrestle with things like, well, which parent do we go spend Christmas with? Do we drive to Ohio? Do we go to Indiana? What do we do here? What do we do there? And then... And then uh, I didn't just have one smaller family to buy gifts for. Now I had two families and extended families and a wife that I wanted to, to try to bless. And uh, the budget to play this gift game was huge. I mean, I had no idea. Uh, it just started growing and growing. And I was even struggling with the notion of how and if we should bring Santa into our Christian home when we eventually had our own kids. And it didn't take long after a few years, I actually found myself dreading the Christmas season because of all this. I was the money manager, and this was the time of year when things got really tight, and I I became um, uptight. Our small budget and our young family was being strapped uh, financially because of all these gifts. And then the bills came in in January, and, and... they really were daunting. And the pressure to please others and play this gift game was stifling to me. The Christmas of Jesus didn't seem to feel like the Christmas we were participating in. And Ann's dad must have seen the color go out of my face every year, and he gave us a generous gift, which is the only reason why I didn't go in debt. Um, and so I, I'm thankful for him. And, but all that to say, the Marian Christmas wasn't so much merry, at least for me. And that's why I fell in love with the original, the original idea of this Advent conspiracy. It's put together by these pastors and this idea they came up with. I love the idea of making sure that we really worshiped fully during Christmas time, that that was the focus, to worship Jesus. The idea of then spending less, uh, spending less while giving some of that money to help others, to, give, to actually give more out of what we had spent spent less of, and then to give gifts that were meaningful, that actually were appreciated more than just, um, you know, a, a tie or a, a candy bar or whatever, whatever it was. And, and so um, I can't really remember a hand, other than a handful of gifts, uh, that, gifts that were given to me over the years of Christmas. But what I do remember is how people loved me well and how people took me under their wings and cared for me. And I wanted, I wanted to have that kind of Christmas. I wanted to be that kind of person. That's the kind of gift that I wanted to see us give. And that's what made me excited for Christmas. Now, I'm just curious if I'm the only one or is there anyone else in this room that struggles with the commercialization of all this Christmas stuff? Thank you. Men, men, does... Does the January bill thing bug you guys as much as it bugs me? (laughs) Women, ladies, would you rather have gifts that that come from the heart or would you like another wristwatch and a scarf this year? (laughs) Kids, you want another baseball bat or would you rather have a gift from your dad that 
was two mitts with a note tied to it that said, these two mitts are my gift to you because I love to spend time with you. And this is a way we can hang out together. And so my son, my daughter, this gift is for us together. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be great? That's the part, the kind of Christmas that gets me excited. Which brings us face to face with our Christmas carol this morning. Um, it starts out with the word, hark. It's a word that we don't use an awful lot. But uh, hark, wake up, get on the edge of your seat. Open your eyes. Look what God is doing around us. And I think if we do, it will light us up. Well, Hark the Herald Angels song was, or sing was written by a gentleman whose name is Charles Wesley. I think many of you will recognize that name. Charles and his brother, John, were famous as the Wesley brothers. Uh, They were great revivalists in England in the 1700s. They were founders of what we know today as the Methodist Church. And um, this revival that they brought to England through their ministry eventually spread to to America uh, some 300 years ago. And this Wesleyan movement that they were part of emphasized practical Christianity, personal discipline, and a warm-hearted love for God. But the Anglican church of the day wasn't so happy with these guys, Um, mostly because of their method of preaching, even though it's it's more complicated than that. But for example, um, these Wesley brothers spent much of their time preaching to commoners, people like the miners, uh, people of low position, to people who would gather in crowds in in the open outdoors instead of preaching to people inside the walls of of a building like this. And to the people of the church of that day, that felt a little bit unconventional. They felt that the, the Wesley's brother was a little too pointed toward the, the common man, if you will. John Wesley was best known for his powerful preaching, but Charles Wesley, who was the writer of Hark the Herald, Angel Sing, um, was actually known as the most prolific hymn writer ever. Isn't that interesting? And, and Hark the Herald Angels Sing actually is arguably the most well-known and well-remembered um, hymn in the English language. Isn't that interesting? And Charles' way to help these common folks who had never entered the doors of the high church was to write hymns that explained the theology of being a Christ follower. And the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, is, is rich with some of this biblical theology that clearly articulates the truth of God's plan to redeem man to himself, as we'll see as we walk through this this morning. But here's the irony of all this. The irony is that if the writers of this song, Charles Wesley and then George Whitfield, who also we'll hear about in a minute, and then a guy named Felix Mendelssohn, who wrote the tune of this song, if they would have had their way they'd have had their way, the song never would have made it to us in the form that we have it and probably never would have even become popular. So here's, here's the story. Upon his conversion, Charles Wesley immediately began writing hymns. Each one was packed with bi- biblical doctrine. He wrote constantly, and even when he was on horseback, which was in the only way they traveled in the 1700s, um, 
His mind was flooded with these new songs. And he was known to have get off his horse as he was traveling from city to city and knock on a door and ask for pen and ink so he could capture these words that God had given him as he was riding his, his horse. He wrote over 6,500 hymns. That's a lot of hymns. And he didn't like people tinkering with his words. <laughs> And so he even publicly rebuked people who did. If you changed his words, he would publicly um, make a statement of rebuke to you. In 1739, when Charles Wesley was 32 years old, he wrote a Christmas hymn that began began like this. We've got it on the screen. Here were his original words. Hark, how all the welkin rings. Glory to the King of Kings. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all you nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. Universal nature say, Christ the Lord is born today. It's similar, isn't it? What in the world's a welkin? (laughs) Well, welkin is an old English term for the vault of heaven, V-A-U-L-T, vault of heaven. So Wesley's original line, here's what it meant. Hark how all the vault of heaven rings, glory to the king of kings. Well, a man named George Whitfield did the church a favor, and he came along and and said, that word's not going to cut it. (laughs) And uh, he polished uh, what we, the song that we sing, into Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And, uh, and George Whitfield was a friend of Charles Wesley. He was a, also a traveling evangelist who published his own collection of hymns in 1753. And he changed the words to Charles Wesley's song, but he didn't ask, he didn't take the time to ask Charles for permission. <laughs> All right? So even though they were friends, um, George Whitfield was, was part of this new group of um, of revolutionary Calvinists. And, uh, and they struggled some with the Wesleys, uh, who had more of a gentler reforming approach. And Whitfield just made the change, and he began using it in his own evangelistic meanings. And, and his change to the song quickly became the, the, the way that most people sang it. It became the popular version. Well, Charles Wesley so, was so incensed that even as popular as the new version became, he refused to sing it for the rest of his life. (laughs) And here's why. Wesley resented the unbiblical picture of angels singing. The text in Luke 2 never says the angels sang. Did you know that? We'll we'll get to that in, in a while. And so Wesley, throughout his life, refused to sing the adjusted version of the hymn, even though the adjusted version became the popular one. And not only that, but the tune that the song Hark the Herald Angels Sing was sung to is different than the one we sing today. So here's the history for that. Um, Wesley insisted that the Christmas Day hymn be sung to a slow and somber sacred music tune. Well, long after Wesley was dead, and he probably rolled over when this happened... um, A guy named William Cummings comes along. He was an organist uh, at the Waltham Abbey in England. Um, And in 1856, um, years and years after Wesley and Whitfield's death, um, he joined 
the, the lyrics to Hark the Herald Angels Sing to a tune who was written by a guy named Felix Mendelssohn. Felix Mendelssohn was a Messianic Jew. He was a, a Jewish person who had come to know Jesus, who had put his faith to Jesus, and this Felix gentleman wrote a song for um, a festival celebrating the Gutenberg Press invention. It was called the Gutenberg Festival in 1840. And the tune that he wrote um, was never intended for sacred words, as he, as he put it. He intended the tune to be used to celebrate a big cultural event of the day. And uh, he thought it would be better, better to not be a sacred song and to be an event, a cultural event, high, fun, exciting celebration song. But long after all these guys had died, Mendelssohn, who wrote the, the tune, uh, Charles Wesley, George Whitfield, who had changed the words, long after those guys were dead, um, this, this guy, William Cummings, um, changed the tune behind the song or the words, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And what we have today is a compilation of all this. Isn't that fascinating? <laughs> And even more fascinating is what we are left with today is this popular, catchy Christmas carol that, in a sense, is a short course in systematic theology. It's rich in biblical truths truths surrounding Jesus' birth and God's plan to redeem man. And the life of all these individuals who had a hand in crafting this this Christmas carol reach out to us today, hundreds and hundreds of years later, actually hearkening us to listen to God's message. So I think we need to get on the edge of our seat and let's, let's experience what they, these guys were so excited about. And the biblical text behind all this that inspired all of this comes from Luke chapter two. And I actually would like us to read this together this morning, together. Now, whenever we read things together in this kind of a scenario, I sometimes get lost in just the whole reading process, and I don't even really hear what I'm reading. But I'm going to ask you to concentrate, because you're mature people, and I know you can handle this. Uh, In the first service, they really struggled with this portion of the service. (laughs) I have hope that we can pull this off together, all right? So we're going to read this together. Here we go. At that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed a census that should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius, the governor of Syria, all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord peered among them And the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, 
Yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. Very good job. Well, I want to spend a few minutes focusing on the angels in this, in this scripture account. Uh, angels are, are spiritual beings. They were created by God. They have the ability to, to make moral judgments. They are highly intelligent, and they have an immense amount of great power. But unlike us, they don't have physical bodies. They're spiritual beings. And from time to time, uh, God would allow humans like us to actually catch a glimpse and to see and to hear angels, as in this situation. There are a lot of examples of this in the scripture. I mean, two that we can think of, especially at Christmas time, were, was when the Abel, or the angel Gabriel showed up to Mary and told her how highly favored she was in God's eyes and told her about the birth of Jesus and how she was going to participate in that. And then an angel showed up to Joseph in a dream telling him not to quietly dismiss or divorce Mary, but that, that what was going to be conceived in her actually was from the Holy Spirit. And there's just two examples that we know of. But look at the words that the angel and the angels say, or said and proclaimed to, uh, to these shepherds. Here, here it is. I have it on the screen. The first thing the angel said to them as they were there terrified was, don't be afraid. Now, I want you to imagine... Um, you decide, it's a beautiful starry night. I'm going to have a bonfire in my backyard. And you're sitting back there, um, just chilling with the fam. And all of a sudden, bing, here's an angel. I'm pretty sure you would be terrified. Um, these guys were terrified. I mean, this is not normal. This is superhuman. This is unbelievable. They are terrified. And the angel's message to them was, don't be afraid. No, 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 no. Don't be afraid. This is actually good news. I bring you good news that will be great joy for all people, not just you shepherds, but for everyone. The Savior, yes, yes, the Messiah. The Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And, and the angel knew that they would be so excited they would run to go see this. And so he said, you're gonna recognize this Messiah who has been born by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a, in a manger. And then there's this host of angels that appears with the one angel. And, and 
hundreds, maybe thousands of angels appear in the midst and they begin praising God. Now, maybe they were singing. Maybe they weren't singing. We don't really know. But what we do know is what they were saying. And here's what they were saying. Glory to God in the highest heaven. Glory to God and peace on earth to all those with whom God is pleased. This is great news. It's as if these angels are so excited that they can't control themselves. They are, they are beyond excitement. They can't wait to share this good news with these shepherds. They are excited for God's plan and they're excited for God's glory. And they're excited for humans, for all of mankind. These angels who were created spiritual beings who had even watched some of their own angel brethren turn their backs on God and rebel against God. These angels were excited for the good news of joy for people. These angels couldn't wait to see God help us lost people. And even though God chose not to redeem their brethren angels who had turned their backs on God, God did choose to redeem those of us who were created in his image, us humans. And the angels are stoked about this. They are excited. They're seeing God intervene for us. And, and as Hebrews chapter one says, angels are spirits sent from God to care for those who will receive salvation. These guys are excited because they care for us. The Messiah that God had sent to earth to save these people whom God had created had arrived in Bethlehem. The day had finally come. God was intervening. It was the day that was going to begin the change in history. And these angels are so excited, but the good news wasn't for them. The good news was for us. They were experiencing this good of a merciful God for us, on behalf of us, and they are on the edge of their angelic seats. They're so excited. And it was this very scripture that was foundational, that was a motivating factor for Charles Wesley and these others who were involved, uh, John Whitfield, in, the, in this this hymn that we sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And so I want us to work through the first three stanzas of, of this Christmas hymn. And the first stanza really is an invitation. It's an invitation for all people to recognize what God is doing. It's a birth announcement. It's an invitation. So here, here is how it goes, the first stanza. And it's on the, green, the screen again for you. Hark, hark, wake up. Open your eyes. The herald angels sing glory to this newborn king. Peace, peace on earth. And mercy, mild, mild in this little baby. And now God and sinners can be reconciled. Hey, everybody, all the nations be joyful and rise. Join this triumph that's in the skies. With this angelic host, let's proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark, hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. That's how Charles meant for this to be taken. This is an exciting, exciting announcement. Well, the second stanza emphasizes who Jesus was. It emphasizes his identity, his deity, his virgin birth. His incarnation, which just means he left heaven and he came to earth and, and put on flesh, his humanity. Here's the second 
Here's the second stanza. Christ, this Messiah, by highest heaven, he is adored. This Christ, this Messiah, the everlasting Lord, late in time, behold him come. Well, what does that mean? Late in time, behold him come. Well, if you study the New Testament, Paul and Peter and, and, and the early believers, they talked about how Jesus would come to earth and that he would die and he, he would be crucified and then he would be risen again and, and all of that would usher in the last days, the last days. And that's what we biblically live in today, the last days. Late in time, behold him come. He's the offspring of the favored one. Well, who is the favored one? Do you remember what Gabriel told Mary? You are highly favored of God. It was Mary. He, Jesus, is the offspring of the favored one. And he's veiled in flesh. But he's actually the Godhead, you see. Hail, hail this incarnate deity. Pleased to be a man and with men to dwell Jesus, this Jesus, he's our Emmanuel. Do you remember from last week, Emmanuel? Jesus, he's God with us. Hark, hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to this newborn king. And the third stanza, it teaches us what Jesus offers. Charles Wesley is wanting, wanting the people to hear. This is what Jesus is offering to you. He offers light in the midst of a dark world. He offers life in the midst of death. He offers healing in the midst of disease and hopelessness, and he brings us victory over death. And here's how, how Charles wrote it out. Hail this heaven-born prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. And he's referring to Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah, one of them being out of Isaiah 9, that the Messiah would be the prince of peace. And he goes on and he says, light and life to all he brings. He's risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. As he lays there, he's laid his glory down. It's a, it's an, a, a reference to Jesus emptying himself, to becoming human. And he's born, he's born that man no more may die. He's born to raise the sons of earth and he's born to give them a second birth. He has come to give us spiritual birth, to overcome this death, a new beginning, new creations. Hark, hark, the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. Can you sense Charles' excitement as he wrote this? And he's trying to capture what these angels were bringing forth to these shepherds. How, how does this sit with you this morning? Does it make you yawn? Does it pique your interest? Can you see why the angels were so excited? I mean, listen to this. God chose to call the common, lowly servant shepherds to hear the good news of Jesus through the voice of these angels. Charles Wesley, he chose to call the common people of his, of his day to the good news of Jesus through this Christmas Day hymn. God even used people messing with Charles Wesley's lyrics to bring life to the song for generations. The writer of the tune 
thought that the tune was too upbeat for anything sacred. Yet God used this tune to celebrate the greatest sacred news ever. And God the Father chose to send his very own son to be born with flesh and to struggle as a poor commoner baby born in a cave, placed in a manger. Consider the absurdity of all this. Consider the absurdity of a teen virgin girl giving birth to a baby that was fully God and fully man. Consider an angel convincing this virgin's betrothed husband that what was actually conceived inside his wife to be wasn't from a human, but it was from it was conception by the Holy Spirit of God himself. Consider the mystery of God sending Jesus as the Messiah to eventually sacrifice himself to the very ones that he created and allow those ones that he created to actually crucify him in order to take the guilt and the sin and the curse of death away from those who would put their faith in him. Hark yourself. (laughs) Hail the king. Hark and hail. Hark and hail. So, How's your heart? How's your heart? I like it. Do you recognize this Jesus who came that night as your Savior? For you do, you do need saving, you know. There is no escape from death, from the judgment that is to come. There is no escape in our own efforts or in any of our attempts of goodness from what is coming in the future. Hark means to pay attention. Do you hear this great news of what God has done for you? And how's your hail? How's your hail? Have you hailed Jesus who is the newborn king who at this moment sits at the right hand of the Father, seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, interceding for you, cheering for you to recognize the greatest gift of all time and who will eventually return to judge the dead and those still living. The word hail, it means to acclaim, to salute, to acknowledge. Have you hailed Jesus as your Lord your king and your savior and as the Charlie Brown Christmas line goes that's what Christmas is all about Charlie Brown (laughs) that's the heart of Christmas God caring enough for us that he sends Jesus to save you and to save me lean forward on the edge of your seat because God is at work on your and my behalf. The Bible teaches that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, that the Bible teaches that you will, you will be saved. And God's gift to you is Jesus but what's your gift back to God?
What's your gift back to God? Do you know what God longs for the most? Here it is. He longs for you. He longs for you. All this is because of you. He longs, he longs for you. And I thought it would just be appropriate to, to give a quick opportunity this morning to recognize that. A chance for, for any of you who have never made Jesus your Lord. You've never hailed Jesus as the newborn king. A chance to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead so that you can begin this relationship with God. So I'm just gonna ask us if we'll bow your heads. And if that's you, if God's tugging on your heart, will you pray this prayer with me to the living Jesus, to God the Father? Here it is. God, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is my Lord. I choose to believe that God raised Jesus from the dead and and I thank you for saving me as your word says you do. Amen. It's a simple prayer. It'll be the beginning of a new life, a new creation for you. If you prayed that for the first time, I would love to talk to you this morning. I'd like to just encourage you on some next steps you could take and help you to celebrate together. Please come down and see me after the service uh, and, and let's talk about that. Well, as we close, church family, church family, what if this Christmas we were more excited about what God is doing, his gift of life through Jesus, than we were for any gifts that we wrap? All wrapped gifts will fade away. But the gift of eternal life through Jesus will never, ever fade away. It will lead others to be face-to-face with the God of the universe who loves them so much that he would give the greatest gift of all to redeem them, his sons and his daughters, back to himself. Church, will you share the love of Jesus this Christmas with those who are lovely? And... What if we truly would conspire to take Advent back? An Advent conspiracy. What if we began worshiping fully and encouraged others to join us? And what if we did spend less so that we could give more to things that truly are meaningful? And what if we dreamed big, God-sized dreams? And what if we loved all, especially those who need love because of the circumstances of their life. Well, may this Christmas be different. May this Christmas be marked by a hark and a hail. And so will you stand with us as we hark and hail by singing this hymn together in closing. <laughs>